Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. What a run it's been for Corvette, Antonio Garcia, the number three. And here comes the traditional yellow card to the chequered flag. Corvette win a Daytona. And that is the 100th victory for Corvette Racing on American soil. On Independence Day, who writes these scripts? Going across the line, I, almost, I was almost crying. And being an American driver and American brand here in Daytona, definitely very special. Saturday the 4th of July 2020, Daytona International Speedway. Not a date that we expected to be racing the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship and the WeatherTech 240, but evoking memories of the old Paul Revere 250, a very traditional sports car race at the World Centre of Speed. World events meant that IMSA had to change their calendar this year. And after being at Daytona for the Rolex 24, that's where we were for round two. I'm delighted to say that joining us now for a very special celebration is the man at the head of Corvette Racing's programme, Doug Feehan. Doug, it was a long time coming over two years, or getting on for two years, since Corvette had won an IMSA race. You'd been stuck on 99 IMSA wins, and you only go and win it. And as the car crosses the line, it was literally under the rocket's red glare and the stars and stripes as you came through to win. You can't write this. Who do you pay as a scriptwriter? Doug Feehan, congratulations on behalf of Corvette Racing for 100 wins in IMSA competition. Well, John, on behalf of not just myself, obviously, I have a personal investment in this, but but our management, you know, Mark Royce, Jim Campbell, Mark Kent, and uh, all, all the guys at Pratt & Miller, um, this was, uh, this was, this was a monumental win for us on, on so many different levels. Um, the guys had, had, had worked tirelessly, uh, in, in the off time to try and make improvements. There was no testing allowed. So everything had to be virtual. Um, you know, there was a lot of best guessing going on. Uh, and it was, it was day after day after day, hour after hour after hour there. I'm not sure we didn't work harder during the pandemic, although working from home and offsite than we normally would have at the shop. Everybody realized that this, this next race for us was going to be significant, uh, in, in trying to create a step forward for the brand. When we looked at the advantage that we had and the only advantage we had was that we were going to be at the same facility in which we debuted the car. Yes. So the only information we had was the information we needed. And so that caused our engineers to go in and, and literally dissect every data point and looked at what could be done uh, to improve where we were. We looked at car systems. Uh, we looked at right down to wheel nuts. Uh, the pit stop practice was endless. We build an actual pit lane. We have one inside. We have a pit stop inside the shop that we've built. But we went out back in the parking lot. We actually built a pit lane. 
so that we could actually have the cars coming in, you know, moving, not just a static stop, uh, you know, in full gear. Um, looked at, at positioning pit equipment, how we were refueling the car. I mean, it was uh, it was an amazing thing to watch happen, to see that just relentless dedication that these guys have. And, and, and the fact that we hadn't won in, in over two years, you would think that the edge would be off or yeah. that the senses yeah. might be dulled or that ambitions might be reduced. And if anything, it was the exact opposite. They were heightened. Um, these guys were determined they were going to get that 100th win. Uh, everybody understood how cool it would be to do it there. And uh, as, as, as laser-type focus, um, you know, the execution, the planning – as I said, 50% good luck, 25% great car, 25% great team. We had good fortune in this race as, as well as being prepared. It just came together, and it was storybook. Well, and you say that, Doug. It could have gone either way because if you look at the, the second of your cars, the, the Ollie Gavin Tom Milner car, literally for the, for the want of a couple of laps of fuel, they would have been right there as well but that was the that was the depth and the intensity of GT Le Mans competition once again with a full green race two laps of fuel made all the difference yes and and part of the strategy that we implemented early on after we looked at qualifying after we looked and and finally I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be straight up with you this is the first time in two years that we felt we had a car that we could actually be competitive with Okay, for the last two years, we've had to try and figure out a way to win with a car that wasn't competitive based on the performance that we had been given to their credit, IMSA and other the other manufacturers. We have worked tirelessly in that time off to put a finer point on how they determine the BOP. All right. This was the first race that had this this really new gen uh, 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 data collection and implementation uh, system that, that IMSA had been working on. And when you looked at qualifying, you knew that everybody had the capability to win. And this is the first time in two years where we really felt that way, that we'd be able to do that. And so, and so I think that was inspirational to us, but it caused us to develop uh, a, a, a double-edged strategy. And one was going to be a, that was going to be a green flag race, because we knew the chances were good. And the other was going to be that there was going to be a yellow flag in that race. Right. The four car took the yellow flag path and the three car took the uh, green race path. So if you noticed in Jordan's stint, right from the drop of the green flag, okay, they went on a fuel economy run. We needed to get one extra lap out of that car during his time in the car. And he accomplished that. And, main, and maintain pace. I mean, we stayed yeah, with, very good. you know, it wasn't like we went a half a lap down doing it. I mean, we were up there within striking distance. The four car, if you notice, when it, after we got sorted out past the way, the four car went right to the front, all right? And it was running as if there were going to be a green or yellow flag, and we didn't want to give up track position on that. As the race drew to its conclusion, it became more obvious there wasn't going to be. So the four car then reduced its performance level so that it could finish on a two stop so it didn't have to go to a three stop because you, you were going to go to the back of the pack if you did and and the three car then antonio had to in his stint because his stint was like an hour 
30, I think, um, somewhere in that neighborhood, hour 40. Uh, he had to conserve fuel but still stay within striking distance. And he did a masterful job of maintaining pace and conserving fuel. And I have to tell you, up until right up until the drop of that checkered flag, there was nobody on our pit stand that was going to sign up for saying, don't worry about it, we're going to make it to the end. I mean, we were... <laughs> We had it. We had it figured out to the last leader, and 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 that's a huge credit to the engineering and to to, to Jordan and to and to, uh, uh, Antonio in being able to, to to deliver what we needed on the track and do it in a in a conservative way. Yeah, I I, I was looking at our strategy software that we have now in the Haggerty Global Broadcast Center, and I was thinking to myself, well. I think they can get 30 for sure. They might be able to get 31, but I know they can't get 32. So if it goes to another lap, you know, in some respects, you were wondering. And, of course, the problem is with, with GT Le Mans and GT Daytona, it's not your laps that really count. It's, it's the leader of the overall race that counts. So in some respects, Doug, you're in the lap of the gods there, aren't you? Well, and, and, and by the way, I mean, we have some pretty sophisticated race tracing software goes on. Um, we kept continuous track of where we were in relationship to the leader because you get out of sync with him and then one exactly. extra lap, you're doomed. Yes, yeah. I mean, there's so much you have to watch today with the competition being this tight. And like I said, the balance of performance at this race was as good as it has ever been. Any of the six competitors could have won that race. Let's take you back a couple of years to Long Beach and the and the ninety ninth win. And yeah. you and I talked about that. We've talked about that a number of times. Uh, you felt like you probably should have had wins at, at Long Beach before. <laughs> in, in, I think that's fair to say. Um, yeah. We don't need to go over that again. But let let uh, in that intervening time. What was it that kept you guys going? You talk about the balance of performance. Um, also, you, Dan Binks, and let's talk about Dan Binks as well in a moment, were, were good enough to put your hands up and say we could have won some of those races, but we didn't get the strategy right or we made mistakes. And, and I never hear whinging and moaning from Corvette racing. It just doesn't, doesn't happen. But how do you as a group as a team how do you keep motivating yourself when your car's not in its first flush of youth and you're getting all of the new cars where performance gains are low-hanging fruit for the new cars whereas you guys are having to wring everything out of your venerable c7r what was it that kept you going well i i think you've touched on it you know early on in this program uh, before we ever raced the very first time, I tried to instill in the guys a sense of what they were doing. And and in essence, they were writing history. Corvette has a legacy. It had a legacy long before we came aboard. Okay, We were going to be in charge. It was going to be our duty to carry that legacy forward. And it was going to probably be on a different level than what it had been in the past. There was going to be more scrutiny. There was going to be television. There was going to be media. There was going to be internet. Corvette Racing, as as an entity, had never really faced that in the past. This was going to be the first full factory program. That's additional pressure. And as I said to them, you have to think about this. Each day when we get up, each time we get onto that racetrack, we are writing a page in Corvette history that will be remembered and looked back upon by Corvette lovers 
long after we're gone. You really have to understand the level of responsibility that you're accepting in being a member of this team. It's not just collecting a a paycheck and it's not just going to a racetrack. You are representing America's sports car. Now, the the world sports car, all right? And, And we've never lost sight of that. And the guys understand how important it is. And that's continuously reinforced to us by our fans. You look at our fan base, John, and 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 I would be, I, I I'd want to entertain an argument from somebody on the outside that's saying we don't have the most avid, the most rabid, the most involved <laughs> race fans in the world following us. You draw off of that. That just reinforces all those things I told them early on, because every one of those people is watching, wishing, hoping, pinning their dreams on what we do we have a responsibility to them as much as we do to ourselves and and to the brand itself and those are the motivations that continually drive you you go to a race event you go to a corvette corral we hadn't won in that extended period of time which didn't i'll tell you internally there was so much going on we never really dwelled on that it was never like oh jesus two years i mean i'm thinking back it doesn't seem like it was two years i mean because every single race you know, we, we work to try and find our way to that winner's circle. And indeed, won a championship without winning a race, let's not forget. Well, so the consistency we, paying off there, Doug. We won one championship with one race win, and then we followed it up the next year with zero race wins. Okay? So it wasn't like we weren't trying. But that motivation uh, comes from so many different levels, not the least of which is, is, is our absolute fan base. They're a, they're a cherished group of people who never gave up on us who understood, I mean, they, they understand, how, the, 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 you know, what BOP is trying to achieve. And it's been yeah. a long process and it's been frustrating and we've had opportunities to win and we've had, you know, a, 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 you know, an ill-placed yellow flag at the end of a race yes. or, or, or somebody being able to run five laps longer on fuel than they had run for the whole race. I mean, there had been three or four instances when we could have, should have been there and we didn't. And that was heartbreaking. But it's all it does is motivate you to, to work harder and go back. You, you talk about the fan base, rightly so. You talk about the heritage, rightly so. But with that, that brings its own problems. Because a fan base that's steeped in heritage, inherently, Doug, don't like change. And a mid-engined Corvette was heresy to some of their thinking. <laughs> um it's won now, and a winning car is a great car. But but it's true, isn't it? You have to balance the the need to move forward in the street car as well as the race car with the heritage. And it's it's like any yeah. Every, every time a new Porsche comes out, oh, that's it. That's the end of Porsche. This is not what Porsche are meant to be doing. I remember in 1998 when the first. Uh, 911 with uh, water cooled came out. Oh, that's oh. the end. That's the yeah. end of Porsche. And of course, yeah. it wasn't. Going mid engined isn't the end of Corvette, but you've got to balance that out somehow. How did you do that? Well, to your point, because we had been down this road before, not at this, not quite at this level. And, and, and understand this you can imagine at Corvette Corrals, and you know, I, 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 I speak at each one of these things. Indeed. So for, you know, I mean, for three years, part of the topic was going to be, you know, what is the new car? You know, is it blah, 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 blah. You know, everybody had a huge interest in it. So it was a huge topic of conversation. 
but but I've been doing this long enough personally, and the team has been doing this not as long as I have, but as a team, we've done it, I think, longer than any team in the history of motorsports and sports car racing as a single group. Um, you know, we, 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 we had been through drills like this before. For me, all right, when we had C5, which we inherited, okay, and then working with Dave Hill, who said, what do we need to do to make a better race car? You know, how can I improve? When we go to C6, what can I do in the road car to make the race car be better? Yeah. And I said, well, the first thing is you got to lose flip-up headlights. Hello, what did we just talk about? Heresy. <laughs> Losing flip-up headlights, I, I, I mean, that that was the end of all ends, all right? I'm never buying a Corvette again. Flip-up headlights, you know, then we move to C7, round taillights, okay? How can we lose round taillights? Those things all just look like Camaro taillights. Those square taillights, I'm never buying a Corvette. <laughs> all right, and then we have a record, you're selling more Corvettes than we ever had in modern day times. Um, I, I've been down that road many times before, so I was not at all nervous about that. By the same token, in those meetings that we have with our, with our, with our fan base, with our customers, our fan base is our customer. They're buying yes. our car. Yes. At the end of the day, dude, we're here to sell cars. We utilize racing to do it, but we're here to sell cars. That's our ultimate objective. And so, you know, you, you, you deal with them, and, and I'm straightforward with them because I'm in that group, which I, I jovially refer to them as last-time buyers, okay, because, because we have our age group up until this new car was skewing pretty high. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that automotive manufacturers. We might have had the, high, the 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 oldest age demographic of anybody keeping track of age demographics when it comes to who was buying Corvettes. I mean, we were in the mid '60s. Wow. Which is which? Nothing wrong with that. I mean, we we set a record number selling cars with those people. Okay, but at the end of the day, you know that that base is is probably going to require some sort of change if we're going to expand our horizon. And they know, and they knew that the people my age un understood that, they accepted that uh, uh, last time buyer moniker with a smile and a grin and enjoyed it. Okay, now you look at where we are right now. Here it was an interesting dynamic, and and you've hit the nail on the head, because when I looked across the board, I was getting more ambivalence out of our current customer base than I was getting out of our younger customer base and our younger conquest base. I was getting input from people who were buying BMWs, from people who were buying Porsches, who were saying, as we got closer, tell me more about this Corvette. I want to know more about it. What's going on with it? I know it's mid-engine. We had never gotten that before, ever, ever. And so for the last 18 months to two years before we introduced the car, there's a whole legion of people who were never Corvette customers before who are showing an outright interest in what we were doing. That signified to me that we were on the right track. That's something we needed to do. And I think when we look at our preliminary numbers, and obviously there's, there's you know, we're, we didn't collect as much data as yet as we would like to because of, the, of COVID, because um, uh, we had to stop production for a while. But I think when these final numbers are in in 2020 and we begin to look at 2021 orders, which... I think are going active here now or or early August. Um, 
our age demo is going to be dramatically reduced. The take rate on current customers is going to be less than what it was, but the take rate on Conquest customers is going to far exceed that number. Eventually, to your point, eventually guys in my age group are going to come around mm-hmm. and they're going to buy they're going to buy fixed headlights, okay? And 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 they're going to buy square tail lights. Yeah. They're going to get over the the the, the the drama and the torment of change, and they will embrace what we're building. You know what, though, if I use and and you know, I'll use the Porsche analogy because you you know my affinity to to yeah. Porsche as a brand. It's a brand that I know very well. Ultimately, a few years down the line, people want one of each of them because they'll realise how important each one of those cars were yeah. to the Corvette story and where they stand. In, in developing that heritage. I think it's extraordinary. And, of course, the other great news for us here in the UK and those listening in Australia, we get yeah. right-hand drive. We're going to get right-hand drive in, in C8. The, 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 the term global comes to the surface. And, and, and what started that? What started that was our participation at Le Mans. Yeah. Where we made the determination we weren't just going to be America's sports car. We were going to be the world's sports car. And this is this is this really is 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 taking. We've climbed the mountain. Right-hand drive climbs the mountain. Now, now we are truly a, a, a global brand. And uh, and like I said, racing has has the partnership that productions had with racing has really led the way to to achieving that goal. It's wildly rewarding for me because that was one of the bullet points that was in the initial plan that I presented to John Middlebrook back in 1996. So, Which I'm sure still sound, sounds like, feels like yesterday. You mentioned Le Mans there, Doug, and there will be no Le Mans for the new car this year. And that is entirely down to circumstances beyond your control. Le Mans, I know, still remains, and I'll let you say this, still remains... Corvette and Corvette Racing's global marketing platform. Yes, absolutely. There's no question about that. We reach we reach more people in that event than we do in any other, and it only stands to reason. Um, we are we are heartbroken, crestfallen, wildly disappointed. Um, but here's the reality of that. I mean, when you add it all up, I mean, it, it's it's a virtue. I'm not saying nothing is impossible given enough time and money. But here's the reality right now. I mean, if we were planning on going, uh, uh, no Americans are allowed into Europe. Okay, who knows when that will change? Uh, it might go right on through that 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 September date before before those gates are opened up. So I mean, it's just this, these are un- unusual times. It it crushes me to know that we're that that uh, the record we hold of be competing there. 20 consecutive years, same brand, same team. To have to give that up is is um, is is very saddening to me. But uh, knowing that it's not within our realm of control provides a little bit of solace to it. Yeah, and 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 it just makes the going back with the new car um, even more sweet. And and might I just say as well. 
Doug, uh, taking the brand new car to Le Mans six months after its race debut, I thought was always very brave. You're going to have a lot more data by the time you get there next year. And and by the way, your uh, Corvette Racing, for everybody who doesn't know, their win ratio at Le Mans is second to none. So everybody, I would say, uh, uh, Doug, stand by because you're going to know that car far better when you go back in, in June 2021. You, you, you're exactly right. That, that, does, that, that serves as well. But I need to say this. At Daytona, debuting that brand new Corvette, all right, for 24 hours, which is exactly what we did when this program started. Yep. And my management thought I was crazy by suggesting that this is where we're going to start racing. They learned, they learned the value in doing that. That number three Corvette at the 2020 24 hours of Daytona covered more miles than any Corvette in history, including our overall win in 2001. Wow. That, that tells you how ready we were um, from a durability and reliability perspective to go after it. Also tells us what, what an extraordinary race the 2020 Rolex 24 was as well. And, and I should say, harking back to... The main reason we've got you on your 100th IMSA victory for Corvette Racing, the the 94 laps that were completed in the two hours and 40 minutes put everybody by the leaders, of course, but you were only a couple laps off that, uh, put you ahead of that record-breaking distance pace of the Rolex of this year. So that, that... Two hour forty minute in the heat with all the difficulties of the weather was an absolutely cracking, cracking race. Um, y- you mentioned about a single group for so long. Um, it, it, there are changes, like with the mid engine, like with the headlights and the tail lights. Yeah. No Dan Binks, no Dan Binks at Daytona, and I can't believe I'm even seeing that. And I, 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 sus- I suspect that probably. You know better than anybody else how much Dan Binks was a part and an important part of Corvette racing. There's no question, and and there was no Yan Magnus. Um, Good point. Another another fifteen or sixteen year veteran of what we do. Change is hard, and and you know nothing is forever. Uh, then the older you get, the more you're forced to come to grips with this. Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't look at anybody with whom I work as being old. And the fact is that we are. And, and, and we've all done this a long time. And, and it is, it's hard work. In, in, in our world, we have no weekends. Okay? And, and people kind of lose sight of that because they're coming as a spectator. So for them, and it's an exciting event. For us, it's our job. Now, we, we love our job. Don't get me wrong. But, 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 but you have to think about that. We don't have a weekend. Saturday is the same as Tuesday. All right. We're at work. <laughs> yeah. Good and, point. And, and the level of dedication that it takes to reach the level of success, to reach those 99 victories, it takes a toll. It's, it's hard. I mean, it's hard. Endless hours in the worst of conditions and, and, and running up against it. Every minute of every day, you're running at 100% to try and achieve that ultimate goal. Mm. And, and each of us, each of us will reach a point where you will know when the time is right yep. to hang it up. 
and that's got to be a personal decision, Doug, hasn't it? I, I, I know we, we all hate change, as we've already mentioned, but change with people, particularly somebody who you've known for such an amount of time, and we're all like family in the paddock. It actually doesn't matter who, which team you work for. We see each other every couple yeah. or three weeks. But when it's in t- into the team as well, that change is difficult. But the only person that can make that decision is the person concerned. That that's that's exactly right. You know, you know the mental toll it takes. You know the physical toll it takes, and you know the personal toll it takes. I mean, you have families. I mean, I mean, you know, I just had this conversation with somebody the other day, saying, you know, it's great to see Jordan back. I said, you know, it, it it's amazing to me, for me, because I had his dad. I had his dad in programs in 1991 and in 1992. And in 1996, his dad was racing for me. And now he is here, okay, once again. I mean, you, you, you try and put that in terms. You have father and son, and they're, and, they're, and they're working in the same group. I mean, you know you've done this a long time when those things start coming up. And in Dan's case, we're, we're, when I started with Dan, Philip wasn't even born. Yes, All right. Yes. And uh, and now and now Philip is working at Canassi and and up until this year racing against us. I mean, you know, you've done this for a long time when that happens. And that, to me, the the people part of this is the most gratifying. The wins are important, and and early on, I mean, that's what you strive for. But but the more you mature and the more you're in this, you know, watching young people come on board, looking at their enthusiasm, looking at how excited they are to compete. No, and and, and it wasn't that long ago when I was those guys okay yeah you know just just sleep on the floor and so proud of every single thing you did and 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 now to see that and to see these young people grow and mature and get married and have families and then like you said this is a family the same people who have been doing this now we're we're doing there's a lot of us that have been doing this for 30 and 40 years it's 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 your life it's not it's not a job it's 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 your life it's it's way beyond the navigation. Oh, yeah. And so to your point, yes, you're the one that makes a decision when you know that, that now is the time that you might want to move in a little different direction. Dan has a huge following of, of fans. His dedication so. to his camp, the philanthropy that he takes forward there, how near and dear that is to his heart and to a lot of our hearts. We've we've adopted that, that camp. Um, and, and, and he does... Uh, you know, he had a, a side business. When you would have time to do that, I don't know. The guy had to work 24 hours a day. But, you know, doing uh, uh, vintage, vintage racing and, and, and other race cars, the the vast knowledge that he brings and experience that he has makes him one of, if not the foremost, you know, race prep guy in the country today yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's still capable of doing the work. and And he's able to do it you know, on, on his terms, uh, in, in a much more laid back way. Um, you, you have, you, you can't do anything but respect his decision. And, and, and it was his decision. And, uh, you know, it was, it was odd for me, John, I have to tell you, it was odd for me to walk into that racetrack into that garage. And not see him. In case you hadn't realised, we're talking to Doug Feehan, the man at the head of Corvette Racing, as we celebrate and reflect on 100 IMSA 
wins, uh, plus all of those uh, outside of uh, IMSA as well. I'll give you a moment to compose yourself there, uh, Doug. And, and it's that emotion that we all love you and Corvette Racing for. Uh, Dan, um, Dan Binks will be missed and we wish him well with Camp Anochig uh, and everything that he's doing. I've got to say, you, you've brought in a bit, a bit of experience. Uh, I, I won't say to fill Dan's shoes because you can't do that. But <laughs> the la- the young lad, the young talent that you've brought in, I, I can remember him back in TWR Jaguar days. Tell us a little bit about the new boy. Well, well, well. Let me say this. I think, I think this at our victory here. I think the second hug that I had was with him. And, and I said to him, one hell of a debut, buddy, one hell of a debut. And, uh, you know, I, I think, I, I think just looking at his eyes and looking at his body language and, 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 and the intensity that he had, cause I kept my eye on him, uh, in, in those closing moments. And, uh, and he was fully engaged, uh, in, in what was going on. And he was like a kid at Christmas uh, when that checkered flag dropped. It was it was it was great to see, and 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 I know he felt a huge level of personal reward. It's you can imagine the challenge that he has in in stepping into Dan's role. Okay, uh, that's not that's not easy to do on a bunch of different levels. And he has done he has done a marvelous job of doing that, and the, the team has done a marvelous job of of reaching out and embracing his efforts and, 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 and his vision. Um, they just, it's, 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 it's great to have him aboard and, and, and to have him win at, at, you know, at, at, at this event for his very first victory was, uh, as I said, it get for me, you know, it gets back to the people and it was, uh, it was wildly rewarding to me to see him so happy. It was was pretty cool. You better give him a name check then now that we've built him up so much. (laughs) Because <laughs> you managed to say all that about him, and I let you do that without mentioning his name, Doug. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to leave it to you. <laughs> You're a bad man. You are a bad man. <laughs> uh, um, let's uh, let's talk finally about the the future. Uh, and this season, uh, IMSA, along with anybody else, uh, is, I, I mean, I don't know how they've managed to do what they've done already, but in common with any series, you've got to try and fit, fit a season's worth of uh, of racing into four, four and a half months. And, and clearly that can't be easy to do for anybody. And yet... The the final final version after a couple of, of of shimmies, which is fine. The calendar actually looks pretty sensible, doesn't it? Yes, and 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 the and the, the the marriage of the word sensible is doable. Okay, uh, that that has to become the first. Is it doable? And then how much sense does it make? And and first they put together something that was doable, and and we're making sense out of it right now. And and I think that 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 the effort the effort that the IMSA group has put forward to get us to this point, I don't think people I don't think it's possible for people to have a full understanding and full grasp 
of, of how difficult a, a challenge that was. When you look just at what they had to do, all right, to develop a program to get us from our hotel into the paddock area, okay? Because it's a whole different business now. You know, the temperature taking, the, the getting credentials, everything is different. They had to reinvent how we do business and how they do business. I mean, you know, this isn't a one-pager. I mean, this is 35 pages of protocols on how we're going to do this and when we show up there and the timing and the amount of manpower that it takes. And it was kind of cool because you saw people who normally were behind a desk were not, were not behind a desk. They were out there checking people in and making sure that we got into the racetrack in an orderly and timely fashion and a safe fashion above all, safety being number one. Uh, you know, John Doonan is – Signed on at a really great time. That guy's drinking from a fire hose uh, to try and get all the stuff done that they that they managed to achieve. And you could clearly see that every individual at IMSA has pulled together in some way to contribute to making this all happen, as well as looking at what they had to do for TV, looking at what they had to do, you know, with the individual promoters who now some of which can't have fans. All right. So you don't have concessions. You don't have ticket sales. You don't have parking. How does that, how does that work for you in an, in, in an economic world? What, what, what does everyone have to do to try and make this thing work? It, 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 it like I said, the, the fan doesn't understand all that stuff behind the curtain. No. And, no. and for, and for them to pull this off is, is miraculous. Nothing short of miraculous. If we can finish off then, I asked you a question earlier on about how everybody stayed motivated during the two and a bit years where Corvette Racing didn't win a race. As you rightly said, still managed to win a a championship uh, in that. Now with 100 on the board, uh, uh, how do you stay motivated to get 101? 102 IMSA races, 108, 109, 110 in terms of of, of victories uh, on 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 the honours board back at, at Corvette Racing. What drives you forward to get another one? Because it could be reasonably said, Doug, that as a group, having won the Triple Crown in the same year of endurance in 2015, having won five Triple Crown races on, on the bounce, that you've done everything that needs to be done. Well, I, I think you could say that, okay? And, 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 and here's an achievement that gets overlooked. I, w- I want to bring this up because to me, I mean, 100 victories, I mean, who'd have thought, okay? But we're there. We did it. But I want you to think about this. In that course of that 100 victories, we had 60 1-2 finishes. 60. Yep. Who, who does that? Okay? Um what motivates us is just what we talked about earlier in the interview. Our, 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 our there's no, just cause we won a hundred doesn't mean there's no fans coming to the race. Okay. They're more engaged than ever to come out and, uh, and, 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 and see us win that hundred and first one. And, 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 and I'm, I, I can tell you this right now from where we are. And, and I don't mean this to be, you know, it, from a braggadocious standpoint, 101 is not going to take us as long as it took us to get from 99 to 100. Okay? <laughs> it just, it's, it's just not going to happen. We, 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 can't, we can't allow that to happen. Uh, we, we, are, we, are, we, we can't wait to get to Sebring. Uh, we can't wait to get there. 
Because we, every, every race, every race, you start from zero again. That is that yeah. the beautiful thing about motor racing. You can have yeah. won, you know, you can be Lewis Hamilton and have won seven world championships, and yet you go to Austria and have an absolute nightmare the first Grand Prix of the season. Nobody is owed anything in motor racing, Doug. And isn't and, that and, why we love it? And think about this. You know, like you said, what's left to achieve? You know, we just spent... A, a few minutes talking about Grant, you know, coming over to, to fill Dan's shoes. Why would anybody want to take that job? Why would Grant Weaver want to come to Corvette Racing if he thought we really are of a mindset that we had already accomplished everything we needed to accomplish? He wanted to come to Corvette Racing because he had stuff he wanted to achieve. And he knew he was going to be teamed up with a group of guys who still had a lot to achieve. That's what causes people to want to be here. Why do drivers want to come to Corvette Racing? Drivers want to come to Corvette Racing because they watch what we did with other drivers who literally based a career on their association with Corvette. Had great motor racing credentials before they got here. When you look at a, at a Ron Fellows or a Johnny O'Connell or an Andy Pilgrim or an Oliver or a Yan, all those guys had created a mark in road racing before they got to Corvette. Yes. But they made a career at Corvette. And we welcome Grant Weaver to the fold. Shea Adam provided me with a, a few bits and pieces of, of stats on your 100th win. And we've said a lot about it, Doug, but I think it bears saying again how tight that competition was and how close to perfect you guys had to be to win that in that the whole class was fastest laps were within one second. That's the whole six cars in the class from three different manufacturers, that we had a full green race that was beyond the level of distance record that we had, albeit for a full 24 hours at the, the Rolex, that the race ran full green and flat out. Endurance racing, as you and I have said many times before, is now just a series of sprints uh, punctuated by fuel and tyre stops. It was a hell of a way to win your 100th IMSA race on a great night for America's and the world's sports car. 100 up for Corvette Racing in IMSA. Doug Feehan, thanks for joining us. John, it's been my pleasure, and, and to all the fans out there, you know, we are all family. And, and these are trying times. And I know it's frustrating for the fans not to be able to be at the racetrack in the way, shape, and fashion that they had been in the past. But their devotion is still there. And, and I think they understand that not just Corvette Racing's devotion, but everybody, every competitor, we're, we're no, they're really no different than us. We're no really different than them. They love what they do, and we can't do it without them. And uh, we embrace them all as family. And, uh, and, and, and I think that's what makes our sport so great. And it's been an honor today to be part of this. Uh, you and I go, go way back in this sport. And uh, uh, you know me, I'm going to do whatever I can to, to drive that ball down the field. And uh, I, I enjoy every minute of it. And I can't wait to see everybody at Sebring. This program is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLeMond.com.